Okay. We are doing now Tuesday's portion of Parsha Kisese. Kisese is a Parsha chock full of laws and laws and laws and laws of all different varied topics. So we begin today. We are here in chapter 22, up to verse 8. We're talking about the laws of building a fence. If you build a new house, you shall make a fence for your roof so that you shall not place blood in your house. The one who falls shall fall from it. So Rashi says that uh, we have here a sequence of commandments, meaning the previous verses were discussing the commandment of sending away the mother from the nest. And if you do that, you'll merit to build a new house. And then you're going to fulfill another commandment making the fence around the roof of your house. So we see here the principle that one commandment leads to another commandment. And then it, from there continues to having the ownership of the vineyard, the field, owning the nice clothing, which is why all of these portions are juxtaposed. So the fence is a fence around the roof, which Uncle is translating as a bag, just like because the fence is acting like a bag, protecting that which is inside of it. So the verse has this interesting stage, phrase, you shall not place blood in your house if one who falls shall fall from it. So we're calling the person who falls one who falls, meaning he's already marked to fall. This one is going to fall. He's fit to fall. He deserves to fall. But you don't want his death to come out through you. He's going to fall anyway. You don't want it to be from your roof. Because in the heavenly court, Good things come through bad, good people and bad things through bad people. So I don't want the faller to fall from my house. Next verse. That was one commandment. Next commandment. Next verse. You shall not sow your vineyard with a mixture lest you set apart the growth of the seed that you plant and the produce of the vineyard. The Rashi says this mixture means wheat, barley, and grape seeds in the same throw of a hand, meaning because the verse says you shall not sow your vineyard with a mixture, it's implying there's a vineyard, that's a grape seed, and then there's a mixture, which means two other things. So Raji's saying wheat and barley, it doesn't have to be wheat and barley. It could be any two other species. It could be tomato and corn, any other species of grain or vegetables. There is a separate commandment, you shall not sow your field with mixed seed, which means any combinations are forbidden. Just, in other words, if we just had the tomato and corn together, it's forbidden, or the wheat and the barley together, it's forbidden. But this is an additional prohibition of the combination in the vineyard. So therefore, if one in the vineyard is planting his wheat and barley or his tomato-corn combo, he has two transgressions. If it's not in the vineyard, he has one. Lest you set apart the growth, so set apart, the root there is kadosh. Kadosh is a root word used to mean something that's off-limit. It could be in a godly way, in a positive way, something holy, or it could be in a negative way, like here. But either way, it means set apart. The growth means that the increase from the seed with the plant that grows from the seed. Next prohibition, similar, but next one. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. So it's similar because, again, we're talking about this mixing of things. So Raji says it's not limited to an ox and a donkey. It's any two species in the world you can't yoke together. Um, and it's not only... It's in any situation where you had two species that are tied together as a pair to transport a burden, a burden, meaning our verse here is giving me two specifics, plowing and an ox and a donkey. The Rashi says not necessarily an ox and a donkey. It could be any two species. Not necessarily plowing. If we can imagine the, the, the picture of the old-fashioned yoke and the plow, 
Trinity song, if you have the, 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 the horse and the goat yoked together to carry a burden, that's the same prohibition. They're just here, the verse is writing it in the term of common examples. Next prohibition, you should not wear combined fibers, wool and linen together. So the Hebrew term for this combined fibers, the Torah says shotness, which means a mixture. And a rabbi has explained that the word shotness is actually combined of three Hebrew words. It's a contraction of the word shua, tavua, and nuz. Put those three two words together, you get the word shotness, which means carded or spun or twined. Next commandment, which relates to this one, they're all, you can see it has a flow. Twisted threads you shall make for yourself on the four corners of your garment with which you cover yourself. So this is the commandment of Titus. But it's not written, the word, the word Titus isn't in the verse. It says twisted threads to link it to the previous verse. The previous verse was prohibiting wool and linen, twisting wool and linen together. But, but, it's almost as if the verse is saying, but, you're taking this, this twisted thread and it's twisting wool and linen together. It is permissible. Which, again, we don't normally make scissors from wool and linen, but if we would have, it's more wool. But if you have these woolen threads in a linen garment, well, then it becomes chatnet, which normally is forbidden, and here is permissible. Okay, next commandment, which actually now has several verses. If a man marries a woman and comes to her and hates her, Rashi says, we see right away that because this is happening, he's making this accusation against her because one sin leads to another. In other words, why does the verse say he hates her? That's superfluous. That's not necessary. What do we care? Is the storyline? We just need the flaws. But Raj is saying, no, because he did the prohibited transgression of not hating, he's going to come to another prohibited transgression of this false accusation and derogatory talk against her. So the moral that we learn from here is that one transgression is going to lead to another more severe, as we see happens in this case. And he makes a wanton accusation against her, spreading a bad name against her, and he said, I married this woman, I came near to her, and I did not find signs of virginity on her. So he says, this woman, which means she has to be there. You can't say something in court against someone unless in the presence of the person you're talking about. Then the father of the girl and her mother should take and bring proofs of the girl's virginity to the elders of the city to the gate. And why are the parents involved? Because, as Rashi says, the ones who raised her, if, if truly she did something wrong, they should be disgraced because of her. In other words, if the girl is vindicated, so it's no disgrace. And if she's found guilty, then she should be dis- they should be disgraced. The father of the girl should say to the elders, I gave my daughter to Santa's wife, and he hated her. Why is the father talking? So Rashi says, because the woman doesn't have permission to speak in the presence of the man, of her husband. So the father's talking for her. Now behold, he made a wanton accusation against her, saying, I do not find signs of virginity in your daughter. But these are the signs of virginity of my daughter, and they should spread out the cloth before the elders of the city. So that is a very interesting phrase. Like, are they taking a cloth to prove her virginity? So Rashi says it's a figure of speech, and it means the fact should be as plain to see as a cloth. Meaning, if it was talking about a little cloth, it would say they should bring it. Saying they should spread it means to explain. And obviously, as the commentators say, the Torah is not saying a sheet, so to speak, is the evidence of her virginity or lack of it because what if the sheet's lost? What if it's laundered? 
What if it was a clean sheet and they put blood on it and said it's the blood of virginity? So there's too many factors that would make a sheet not reputable evidence. So therefore, the Torah can't be saying bring us a sheet, but rather spread the facts. Just be clear that she's innocent here. The elders of the city shall take that man and punish him because parents prove, the father proved, that, you know, my, my daughter is innocent, and because this man hates her, he made this horrific accusation against her. Um, because it is, obviously, if, if he was found guilty, it would be a very horrific accusation. And uh, so, therefore, obviously, it's, uh, you know, because he's hating her, he's coming to say these horrible things about her. They should punish him means he gets lashes. And they shall fine him. Beyond the lashes, another fine is, they shall find him 100 silver coins and give it to the father of the girl, for he has sped a bad name against the virgin of Israel. And she shall be came with him as a wife. He cannot divorce her all his days. Now, Rashi doesn't say it, but it's supposed to clarify. It's not that she's stuck with him. The point is, he wants to get rid of her. Now, a man's allowed to divorce his wife, obviously. So if he just hated her and wanted to divorce her, he could have gone to the court and probably had found grounds to divorce her, and that could have worked. But he also wanted to... Uh, probably either he wanted to just hurt her because he hates her so much or he wanted to save himself the money that he would have to pay in her ksuba and divorcing her. So instead he makes up this horrible story about her. So when it's clear that it's a horrible story, he gets lashed and he has a monetary fine and you want to divorce her, you're stuck with her. You want to get rid of her without having to pay for divorce. You're stuck with her forever. Now if she chooses at that point to say, I don't want to be married to this man who, who tried to get me killed, well, no problem. She obviously could get a divorce and leave. But if she wants to stay, he, for the rest of his life, does not have the ability to divorce her, which is part of his punishment. That's all in the assumption that this is a false story because that was the original premise of how this is written. He hates her, so he's making up a story, and this is his story, and the sages realize it's a story, and therefore these are his three punishments, the lashes, the money, and being stuck forever with this woman that you want to get rid of. But if the matter was true, signs of the girl's virginity were not found. So how, how do we figure this out? You know, like what, what's going on here? Just as we said before, that it can't be literally a sheet. You know, we're proving here through his hatred of her that he made up the story. So how do we prove conversely that she actually did sin? So there would need to be witnesses and warning that she had illicit relations after she was officially engaged him. That is of specifics that would need to be here, meaning you need two men that are kosher witnesses, not her relatives, that come and testify that they that she was already engaged to him. They didn't have to be married, but she was already engaged to him. And they knew she was going to have relationships with another man, and they warned her, and she ignored him, and they witnessed the act, and she went and had relationships with this other man. All that would have to happen to prove that this man's story is true. So if that happened, then they shall take the girl to the entrance of her father's house, and the people of the city shall pelt her with stones, and she shall die. She has committed an outrage in Israel to have illicit relationships in her father's house, and you shall destroy the evil from your midst. So it's going to her to the father's house because, again, to, to bring back the pain to the parents, uh, look what you look who you raised. In the presence of the people of her city doesn't mean literally all the people of her city, but it means in the presence of the people of her city. And it's saying here, as if in her father's house, so to speak, she had this, this situation. 
Um, next verse. If a man, okay. That is the end of that situation. Now we're beginning another situation, which has similarity, but it's a different situation. If a man will be found lying with a woman who is married to a husband, they shall die, even both of them. The man who lay with the woman and the woman and remove the evil from Israel. So in the previous situation, just to show the difference, we have a, a married couple where, according to our first storyline, the husband falls prey to the crime, to the sin of hating his wife, and therefore falls prey to desiring to create this horrific story about her to get rid of her. And if, though, actually wasn't a story, and actually we have two kosher witnesses that warned her not to do this act and witnessed her doing this act of having a relationship after she's at least already legally engaged to the man, it's considered adultery because legal engagement is already staged in the process of marriage. So that means she committed adultery, and therefore, like an adulteress, she has to be put to death, which happened there. Now, in this situation, we're saying here a straight situation, so to speak, a straight situation of adultery. A man is having relationships with a woman who's married already, in which case, now we know the man. Now it's, it's like both of them are caught here, the man and the woman. So at this point, they both die. Um, so it says even both of them, the Rashi says this means a situation where both of them had relationships, meaning it was a situation where the man came to have this physical excitement through contact with the outer parts of a woman's body, then it wouldn't count. It's not the act of adultery. At this point, though, it is adultery, and there were two witnesses that warned them and witnessed it and reported it. Then both of them are obligated to be killed, even both of them. So I says even both of them and gives two explanations for that, even meaning after these two people were witnessed and warned and are going to be killed, and then another person gets involved and has an act of adultery, let's say with this married woman again who's already slated to die, that man also has to die. Again, if there was witnesses and warning, you could say, what? She's already like a dead person. She doesn't count anymore as, as a living person you can have adultery with. No, even both of them, even after she's already earmarked for death for adultery, if she has adultery with another man, it's again the crime of adultery. Or even both of them means to include a fetus. So if she's pregnant when she's sentenced to die, they don't wait for the fetus to be born. The, the fetus also dies. And this is true for any situation of a pregnant woman sentenced to death, not only for adultery, for any sin. Even if she's pregnant and sentenced to death, we do not wait for the child to be born. She is killed. That is that law. And now, continuing along this theme in a different situation, if there will be a virgin girl who is betrothed to a man and a man finds her in the city and lies with her. So here we have a, a girl who is being abused and taken by a man. She's officially engaged to one man and then another man just finds her and takes her. So why does they find her in the city? So Rashi says, because the phrase, a breach calls for a thief. There's a breach in the wall, a thief's going to come. If there wasn't a breach in the wall, the thief wouldn't try to steal. So 
this girl, the fact that she was hanging around in this city, means she was already putting herself in a dangerous situation. If she was home, this wouldn't have happened to her. Then you shall take them both to the gates of the city and pelt them with stones, and they shall die. And the girl, because of the fact that she not cry out of the city, and then because of the fact that he afflicted the life of his fellow, and you shall destroy the evil from your midst. So in this situation, because this girl is already engaged in a Jewish legal way, which means she's considered in a certain sense married, if, a, if we do that official engagement usually the same day as a wedding nowadays, not to avoid problems of if they break up the engagement. But in ancient times when they're engaged and then who knows when, a year later or something, they got married, during that entire period there's in a sense a... a a legal obligation between the man and the woman to the degree that if, as in this case, the woman has relationships with someone else, it's not a single girl having relationships, which is an offense, but a much lighter one, it's a married woman, which means it's considered adultery. So here, too, because the girl's in the city, and we're saying, well, if she's in the city, and this man's having a relationship with her, and there's so many people in the city, so if she didn't want it, she could have protested, and he would have been stopped. So the fact that she didn't cry out, it means she, she's going along with it, so they're both committing adultery. Um, next situation, next verse. But if it's in the field that the man will find the betrothed girl, and the man will see if he lies with her, only the man who lies with her shall die. Be, but you shall do nothing to the girl. The girl has committed no capital sin, for like a man who rises up against his fellow and murders him, so is this thing. We found in the field that the betrothed girl cried out, but there was no savior for her. So we're saying here, she's coerced, as Rashi's saying. He forcibly took her, just like someone forcibly tries to kill someone. And Rashi also adds that the verse is using the case of murder to clarify this idea of forcible adultery. So the murder is teaching us about adultery. But Rashi says, bringing from the words from our sages, the comparison also teaches us something about murder. The, the phrase, the betrothed girl cried out, but there was no savior for her, teaches us that one has to save the girl even at the expense of the life of the assailant. In other words, just as it's permitted to save the girl from forcible adultery, even by killing this assailant if necessary, so too, if someone's trying to murder someone, if we have no choice and the only way to save him is by murdering the murderer, we're supposed to kill him. The murderer is coming to teach us something and really murder is actually learning something out from the laws of this situation, of this forcible attack on this girl. Now, the next verse, a different situation. Now we'll find a virgin maiden who was not betrothed and takes hold of her and lies with her and they were discovered. Then the man who slay with her shall give the father of fifty silver shekels, and she shall become his wife. That she has afflicted her, he cannot divorce her all his life. So in this case, here it's again, it's a man forcibly taking a girl. And then when caught, since it's not adultery because she's single, he has to pay. And again, if the girl wants, he has to marry her and stay with her forever. Now, the girl may not want such a person or you know, depending on her, her calculations, maybe she will. So if she does, he's stuck because he, want, he was hurting her, afflicting her in this way, he has to take care of her for the rest of his life. Okay, now we're going to come to the next chapter, chapter 23, which gives many single-verse laws, so to speak, about many of these subjects. A man shall not take the wife of his father, 
did not uncover the robe of his father. So taking here means he can't have marriage with her. Uncovering with the robe of the father means not only the wife, but a woman who is supposed to do the commandment of Yibam or Chalitza with his father, meaning the father's brother's wife, if the brother passed away and they did not have children, but they were capable of having children, then the wife is supposed to marry his father to have a child for the dead brother. So in this case, this woman also will be considered in a sense like uh, someone bound up with his father and therefore prohibited. We could say, why is this woman forbidden in this verse? We already have a verse that says he can't have relationships with his father's brother's wife. But this way, we actually have two transgressions happening if he would have relationships. Also, it's connecting to the, in two verses, the idea of the mamzer, the child who is born, who, 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 who is called the mamzer. So we learn from this verse that the mamzer is a child born from a relationship which has the punishment of courage, excision of the soul. According to Rashi, means a sinner dies childless and suffers a premature death. Next verse, one who is injured, crushed, or severed of spilling shall not enter the congregation of God, meaning if his testicles are injured or crushed, or the male organ is severed, that he can't produce children. A mamzer shall not enter the congregation of God, even his tenth generation shall not enter the congregation of God. Again, this mamzer means this child born from a relationship basically of incest or adultery. What does it mean he can't enter the congregation of God? He's Jewish, he's born a Jew means he cannot marry a Jewish woman. He is only allowed to marry either a woman who's a mamzer or a convert. An Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the congregation of God. Even their tenth generation shall enter the congregation of God to eternity. So again, what does this mean? Shall not enter the congregation of God. Shall not marry a Jewish girl. Now, you would think it means shall not convert. Enter the congregation of God, we would think it means convert. But it also says even the tenth generation still has this problem. So 10th generation from what? So obviously it must mean someone who's converted and even 10 generations later after the original conversion, they still can't marry a Jewish girl. Because of the fact that they did not greet you with bread and water on the road when you were leaving Egypt, because he hired against you Bilam, the son of Baor, Victor Aram Naharayim, to curse you. But God, your God, refused to listen to Bilam and God, your God, reversed the curse to a blessing for you because God, your God, loves you. So this is why we're not marrying into them. We're allowing them to become Jewish, of course, but we're not marrying into them because of Bilaam and the advice that he advised them to do, which caused tremendous sin and destruction among the Jews when they were on the road, when they were disoriented, and they fell prey to this horrific trap that Bilaam set for them. You shall not seek their peace or welfare all your days forever. Meaning, even to the degree where there's a rule with a fugitive slave, that if a fugitive slave from a nation, from a, a non-Jewish nation, runs to the land of Israel to live there, we don't return the slave. We extend to them that courtesy, we make them pay ultimately their owner for their price, for their worth, but we don't return them to be a slave. But if an Ammonite or Moabite slave ran to Israel, then we do return them to the master. We don't give them that extra extended courtesy 
of keeping these fugitive slaves.